Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18. <clears throat> Unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his life his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her in the great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works." But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. That which ye have already hold fast till I come. He that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers. Even as I received of my father, and I will give him the morning star, and he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, I've titled this tonight, Busy But Not Right. Busy But Not Right. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. Lord, I pray as we look into your word again tonight and consider this church at Thyatira and what you've said about it and the activities it was involved in, and the doctrine it taught and practiced, I pray that it would be a learning experience for us and help us to be aware and be warned, be wise of the seductions of the old devil and this, this, the kingdoms of this world. Uh, so, Lord, just give us wisdom and understanding, and we'll just thank you and praise you for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thyatira is mentioned one other place in the New Testament in Acts chapter 16 verse 14 when Lydia, a seller of purple, got saved under the ministry of Paul and she was from Thyatira. Um, Thyatira was a commercial city, rich in agriculture. It was also a place where they had this red dye and they made, you know, um, uh, they, they made dyes that to use in, in coloring clothing, and that was a very lucrative business. But as, as it, be that as it may, uh, as we consider this church tonight, there's a church there in Thyatira. I want you to notice the first thing I notice about it, there's, a, there's an appearance of great service for God. An appearance of great service for God. Notice verse 19. I know thy works and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. So he mentions works two times. Uh, he also mentions charity, which is 
the word gape, which which has the idea of compassion, caring, loving, you know. And I think if we if we put all these terms together, we would find that this church is oozing in it, at least the appearance of it. Oh, they were just such a loving people. Uh, he speaks of their service, and that word service is benevolence, Christian affection, benevolence. Caring, providing for people. They'd have probably said we were in benevolent this morning when the guy knocks on the door and asks for money to bury his wife. But all of a sudden, when Nathan asked him what funeral home it was and you know we could give money to the funeral home, all of a sudden he didn't want us to get involved. <laughs> but he wanted to leave his bucket so we could put cash in it for him, you know. But anyway, you know, the, but these were these were a people of affection and benevolence. They were known for their benevolence. Patience speaks of enduring and long suffering. So this was this would you you could maybe conclude all that by saying this was a church that was seen as loving, caring for the feelings and needs of others, and they went to great lengths and sacrificed in service to people. They were people oriented which can be good and can be bad. Because many times people that are people-oriented sacrifice truth for the sake of people. And so they have this appearance of great service for God. And he commends them for their works. They had a, they had a heart to help people. And that's, that's not, not always a bad thing. It can be a good thing. But we also see a problem here, and that is the approval of a worldly culture. If you notice in verse 20, it says, Notwithstanding, or nevertheless, I have somewhat a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, to eat things sacrificed unto idols. The word sufferest means to allow or they were not restraining. So they were allowing this woman, and the word woman here, uh, according to Thayer's, refers to a wife, somebody's wife. Maybe it's a pastor's wife. You know, we don't know. It doesn't say who, but it, it seems to indicate it was a wife of someone. Uh, and, and it calls her a Jezebel. Now, I don't know if her name exactly was Jezebel or not, but it says she's a Jezebel. Now, we know from the Old Testament scriptures that Jezebel was the one who brought idolatry into both the northern and southern kingdom after the divided kingdom. You know, she was, became the wife of Ahab, and, and she brought adultery and the worship of Baal into both kingdoms. You know, she brought it into the northern kingdom, and then she had her daughter married off to Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram. I think it was Jehoram, and, and she brought it through hers, got worship of Baal, and houses built to that, and of course the killing of the prophets of God. So all that was brought into the kingdom of Israel by Jezebel. She made it mainstream. And according to Thayer's Greek lexicon, the, the name Jezebel here means the symbolic name of a woman who pretended to be a prophetess and who, uh, addicted to antinomianism, Claimed for Christians the liberty of eating things sacrificed to idols. Now, antinomianism or antinomium 
is defined as relating to that doctrine that by faith and the dispensation of grace, a Christian is released from obligation of adhering to any moral law. Now, in the context of Thyatira, you know, this is a city, uh, according to one commentator, that had more trade guilds than any other city in Asia. It w- that would be equal to what we call unions today. And it was impossible to thrive in business without being a member of one of these guilds. The whole city is like a union shop. And people belong to a particular trade union or trade guild, depending on their trade. So, you know, it, was, it wasn't a problem for a Christian to belong to a guild to practice this trade, but the problem was when social aspects of the guild came along, and you know, that's another story. Frequently, one was obliged to attend social functions, which came after a meal, preceded by offerings and drinking a toast to heathen gods. And when the meal was finished, the same toast was repeated. Even during the uh, the course of the meal, there would be meat that had been offered to idols, not to mention the partying that went on, often involving immorality. And we know that from uh, other uh, places in the Bible, when it talks about other cities, one of the things that was prominent in cities at that time was that the, the shrines, the religious shrines, were places of prostitution which was encouraged and accepted as okay. So this would have been the pressure that would have been would have put on the Christians at Thyatira. If you're going to keep your business, you have to participate. You know that puts great pressure on the provider for a family and often pressures wives to pressure husbands to give in. And evidently this woman was teaching that you know we're under grace, therefore no longer governed by the moral law, and it's okay. It's okay. You know, this is, this, this is not like, you know, Nicolaitism has to do with outside the church, outside pressure into the church. This is in the church. This is coming from within. And, and so, she, you know, this is in the church. And she's seducing or leading into error and teaching them to commit fornication. That word, the word there, the phrase commit fornication means exactly that, an unlawful sexual act. So it was, so, so it was, you know, Maybe something like this, since it's culturally accepted and you have to provide for your house, it's okay. God understands. You know, this is, this is a rejection of moral absolutes is what it is. It isn't anything new. Look at our world today. Music is now what considered? Considered what? All moral. You know what? Sex is even now considered all moral. I mean, if you don't like your gender, change it. 
just saw up in Virginia, a teacher got fired. Um, yeah, it was in high school. High school, a teacher got fired because he refused to call a transgender student by her or his, I think it was her, she transgendered to a her, her personal pronoun. He would call her, he would call her her name, but, but according to his Christian convictions, he, was, he would refuse to say her or she of that transgender student. So the board fired him. I saw recently that students had a protest. They want him back. And um, you know, we need more protests like that. But, but anyway, you know, so, you know, you, you, you know, that's what our society is like now. It started with guys like Chuck the Swindler. I mean Chuck Swindoll. In his all-positive message, he wrote a book called Grace Awakening. And in the introduction to that book, he said this, quote, Bound and shackled by legalists, lists of do's and don'ts, intimidated and immobilized by others' demands and expectations, far too many in God's family merely exist in the tight radius of bondage, dictated by those who appoint themselves our judge and jury. Unquote. And basically the premise of the book was, you know, we don't have a we don't have standards. We just live by the the law of the Spirit of Christ. You know, to me, that's a statement of ignorance by a so-called preacher. Evidently, he's never read Matthew chapter 5. Because Jesus said, you know, the law says thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, if you're angry with your brother, you're in danger of hellfire. The law says thou shalt not commit adultery. But if you look on a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery already with her in her heart. So what did Jesus do to the law? He made it a heart issue. Not more than just an outward thing. You know, he really, he really raised it up to a higher standard than even what the Pharisees held. And he said, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. And of course, this idea, I think, in my opinion... His, has evolved now into what we now have with what's called the emerging church and the missional church model. Um, and that's really what this is. The missional church model, to quote one of their writers, Ed, Ed Stetzer, he says, uh, quote, we need to exegete culture in the same way the missionaries have been so good at doing with diverse tribal cultures of previously unreached people. We need to exegete the themes of the Rolling Stones, Dennis Rodman, Madonna, and David Letterman. We need to comprehend that the spirit of the living God is at work in these cultural expressions, preparing the hearts of men and women to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in Madonna, the Spirit of God is, is expressing himself and preparing hearts to receive Jesus Christ. So evidently in those you know, tribes and that live you know, in primitive areas and running around with their loincloths and chucking spears at each other, are, are, it, the Spirit of God is expressing himself and preparing them to receive Christ. That is ignorance at the highest level I've ever heard it. 
He rejects the attractional and extractional church, which attempts to attract non-Christians with traditions or technique and to extract them from their cultures. In other words, to change their culture. Churches should focus instead on being missional, moving outward, and incarnational, moving deeper into the culture. As Mark Driscoll puts it, churches should help new believers remain within their tribes, whether that tribe is punk rock, a ghetto block, or yuppie stock, so long as they don't sin. Unquote. This is really revelational stuff. See, the, the premise is, and this is from Way of Life Literature, David Cloud's website, and he says this, and he quotes Mark Driscoll when he says this, Jesus' incarnation is in itself missional. God the Father sent God the Son into culture on a mission to redeem the elect by the power of, the go- by the power of God the Ghost. After his resurrection, Jesus also sent his disciples into culture on a mission to proclaim the success of his mission and commissioned all Christians to likewise be missionaries to the cultures of the world. Emerging and missional Christians have wonderfully rediscovered the significance of Jesus' incarnational example of being a missionary immersed in a culture, unquote. So there, you're, to, to, you're, you're to take, you're to go into to go into a culture and become like the culture and take the message of Christ and make it fit the culture. That's what they're saying. What if that, what if that culture is cannibalistic? By the way, there still are some. I just read recently there was a guy, I'm trying to remember where he's from. I think he's from the States here. He was, uh, I think he was, um, he was some Asian descent. Um, it was some with new, some new evangelical group, but anyway, you know there, there's there's a there's a tribe on an island that's still still um, uh, uh, unreached and untouched by modern society, and they haven't been any contact with anybody for 12 years. So the last person was in there, they threatened, so they never went back, and that was some journalist of some kind. But anyway, this 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 man spent. Years studying this tribe and praying about, it, and he wanted to take them the gospel, but they shot him. Uh, but see, the, the, their idea is you don't change the culture. You don't endeavor to change the culture. You know, when people get saved, they're going to change, and it's going to change their culture. Uh, a Mars Hill graduate school proclaims, quote, We believe a person or community can never receive a hearing nor offer the gospel unless it incarnates the gospel through joyful precipitation, participation in a culture's glory and honest engagement in its darkness. We wish to develop lovers of language, story, drama, film, music, dance, architecture, and art in order to deepen our love of life and the God of all Creativity. Sounds so wonderful. Let me give an example of that. Grace Gathering, Santa Barbara, California. Started by a graduate of none other than West Coast Baptist College. By the way, 
um, yeah, what's his name? Paul Chapel's son has started a church like this too. But anyway, this is, this is by another guy. Grace Gathering was founded by Todd Weaver, a graduate of West Coast Baptist College, and son of Toby Weaver, who is listed on staff at West Coast. The church's goal is to partner with God to build, to advance his kingdom. It is more about kingdom building than gospel preaching and discipleship. Grace Gathering believes that God hasn't given up on the world and is working through people to bring about his renewal of all things. See, everything is very emerging at Grace Gatherings. Instead of a statement of faith, they have a theology narrative. Instead of a Bible being infallibly inspired of God, it is an authoritative narrative. For salvation, there is no repentance or no mention of repentance or born again. Just the Spirit of God affirms as children of God all those who trust Jesus. They don't do missionary work. They do holistic missional work. They say the church's work is to usher in the kingdom of God and partner with God to build to advance his kingdom. The church, they say, is a global and local expression of living out the way of Jesus through love, peace, sacrifice, and healing as we embody the resurrected Christ who lives in and through us to a broken and hurting world. Grace Gathering is participating in God's movement to rescue and restore his good creation. That's environmentalism. That is an emerging philosophy, philosophy, and the church's theology narrative uses terms like, such as narrative, missional, relational, fractured, marginalized. Grace Gathering teaches that Christians are to serve, care for, and cultivate the earth. One will look in vain in the church's theology narrative, quote-unquote, for a statement on God's eternal judgment of an unsaved in the lake of fire. There appears to be a strong element of universalism. Their community works, here's the works, projects include the New Agey Alcoholics Anonymous with its emphasis on the higher power rather than the God of Scripture. Grace Gathering describes itself as a people that respect differences of opinion and encourage dialogue. And this is really what the emerging church is all about. And you'll hear this missional church. And when they say missional, when they say you know, Jesus incarnated himself into the culture. That means he put himself into their culture and became just like the culture. The only question I have with that is, why were the Pharisees always arguing with Jesus then? If he fit into their culture, why were they always questioning him and challenging him and arguing with him? It's because he didn't fit in. He countered their culture. He, he said, you teach the traditions of men. That's what their culture was. That it ceased to be the law of God. And this is, this is really what is very prominent in our world today and is growing. And, and you know, they're, they're in church, church planning. But it's all about bringing in the kingdom. They're kingdom people. They're not gospel preaching. They believe they're going to bring in the kingdom. Well, my Bible says it's got, things are going to wax worse and worse. Now, here is, here is some things that is evident or they, they believe and practice. And, of course, you know, think about this. God is everywhere and expresses himself in everything. Even if it's, you know, punk rocker or, you know, or, or, or Elvis, the Beatles, you know, whatever it is. 
It can be, you know, God expressed himself in fornication. And, you know, to meet the needs of this postmodern world, you know, postmodern means, uh, you know, they are, they are culturally and emotionally driven. There's no right or wrong. Truth is relative. It depends on your experience. There's subjectivity toward what, is, what was right and moral and immoral. Relativism, uh, you, know, you, can't know, you can't know objective truth. Can't know for sure what, what truth really is. And they undermine, they undermine construction of language and give words different meanings. And you see this even in the political world. People give words different meanings today. You know, ask somebody in the street what it means to be born again. You know, this, is, this, has, been, this has been in religious circles for, 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 for thousands of years. You ask the Catholic, what's it mean to be born again? They'll give you a definition, but it won't be a scriptural one. Now, it may sound scripture, but what they mean by born again is something different than what we mean. Because, you know, like I was at a Catholic funeral one time, and they put this lady in heaven by baptizing her. Um, they, they um, I can't remember all the, you know, they poured some incense, and, you know, oh, she was, they didn't baptize her there, but she had been baptized. They, she, they poured holy water on her, and I can't remember what else it is. You know, about three or four different ways, and I thought, Man, she sure has, you know, she's got it made. She's, she's got to be in heaven. I mean, if, if the one didn't work, surely the other did, you know. But none of them were scriptural. None of them. What's repent mean? You can ask Baptist that, and you'll get different answers. And see, truth is now determined by your experience. By your experience. This is a rejection of the immutability of God. That God does not change. See, now, see they're saying, you know, you know, you know we, we, we're, we're beyond Christendom now. And we've moved into this emerging church and this missional philosophy. It's a new, new way of doing things. There's, of course, an inclusive approach. That you can have diverse opinions and belief systems, and that's okay. But this is spiritual fornication, pure and simple. It's spiritual fornication. It's an effort to unite the holy Christ with the world. Or, you might say, with the devil himself. It's like trying to mix oil and water. They don't mix. They don't mix. Jesus said in John 12, 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. In John 14, 30, he said, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. You know, the two do not mix. And so she was, this Jezebel, like these today, God would call them Jezebels, whether they be men or women, are teaching God's servants to commit fornication. Commit fornication. But I want you to notice the answer of God. The answer of God. Now notice a couple things here. First of all, 
the omniscient God sees and knows all things. Verse 18 says, And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works. Thy charity, service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. I know. I know all about you. And I've got eyes like a flame of fire. You know, that speaks of the piercing, all-seeing eyes of God with whom we have to do. God knows. You know, God not only knows the outward actions of this Jezebel system, but he also knows that this Jezebel system that it is unrepentant is what it is. You know, this is nothing more, and we talked about it in Sunday school this morning, nothing more than despising the Son of God and placing men and money and pleasure above Him. I would call it, a good, a good name for it would be called convenience Christianity. Just doing what is convenient. Just to get by. That's not Christianity at all. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 6.24, you cannot love God and mammon. In 1 John chapter 2, <clears throat> you know, the, the apostle of love said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You know, and, and people will say, you know, I've heard, I've heard things like this about compromising preachers. They're such nice guys. You know, listen to them. Listen to them on the radio. I've listened to Chuck Swindoll. I've heard him on the radio. My mom used to listen to him before I got enlightened. And he's all positive. Everything just sounds so grand. You know, they can always look so nice. And they're, they're so congenial and kind and compassionate. At least they appear to be. But you know what? And they never say a harsh word about anyone. But you know what? Did Jesus say any harsh words to anybody? Did Paul? Did Peter? Did John, the apostle of love? Or how about Moses? Or Abraham? Or David? Or Isaiah? Or Jeremiah? See, what I'm saying is there's not a prophet or preacher in the Bible who does not correct and speak judgment when it's needed. They all do. They all do. They all point out the errors of men. And and the modernist preacher, the modern day preacher would say, they're all very critical. They're like a faithful parent who will correct their children. 
You ever hear a parent say, well, I don't correct my children. You should say, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. That would be the right response because it always shows. No, God is all-seeing. He knows everything, and, and he will. And that's the second one. He will reward us according to our deeds. Notice verses 21 through 23. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. You know, God is always gracious. Even with the most wicked, God is always gracious. He gave Judas opportunity to repent. He even confronted Judas and said, One of you shall betray me. And then he says, It's him that reacheth with me. And he gave him, he pointed him out. He gave Judas opportunity to repent. He said, I gave her space to repent. And she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. They still have opportunity. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. See, this is really a hard issue. It's more than just an outward issue. You know, our actions are the, are the fruits of our heart. The fruits of our heart. And the heart of the matter is, she was despising. She loved the pleasures of men more than the pleasures of God. More than the truth of the word of God. And, and so he said, I'm going to reward her. I'm going to judge her, this Jezebel and her followers. And I'm going to, I'm going to cast her, uh, kill her children. I'm going to cast her into great tribulation. Now, that's a prophetic statement concerning, concerning the judgments going to come on the world during the Great Tribulation period. Read Revelation chapter 6. And men are going to cry out and ask the rocks to fall on them and hide them from the face of the wrath of the Lamb who's judging them for their wickedness. So it speaks of, of great judgment upon her and her followers. He says, it's going to kill her children with death. Of course, this is talking about eternal death. And the churches shall know, all the churches, in other words, the true churches will know that I am he which searches the reins and hearts, and I will give everyone according to your works. So he's going to reward, he's going to judge these followers of Jezebel with death and destruction. But we all notice also that he's going to reward the faithful. You know, even in this church that's known the depths of Satan, there are those who've been faithful. If you notice in verse 24, he says, But unto you I say, and unto the rest of thy retire, as many as have not this doctrine, which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. But that which you have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as he received, I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. 
You know, this had to be very encouraging to those who are faithful. Those who refused to go to the guilds and eat the meat sacrificed to idols, who refused to go to the guilds and commit fornication with the, in those idolatrous temples, you know, those who refused to do that and suffered great consequences uh, uh, because of that, maybe lost their places of employment and had a hard time feeding their families. But he said, I'm going to give you power over the nations. In other words, you're going to judge the world to come. You're going to judge the world to come. You know these that are seducing you? You're going to judge them in the world to come. They may have the high hand now. They may have the applause of men now. They may be in the majority now. But the day will come my kingdom shall rule in this reign in this earth and then you shall have rule in verse 27 he and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessel of a potter shall they be broken to shivers even as i received of my father you're going to have the one to rule and to break them and bring judgment upon them so there's this great reward promised to those who are faithful and he said, I will give him the morning star. Of course, the morning star in Revelation 22. In Revelation 22 and verse, uh, I think it's verse 17. Uh, verse 16. I, Jesus, sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Of course, this, this speaks of the glory of Christ. We're going to share. You know, those that are faithful, that keep His works unto the end, those that are faithful are going to share in the glory. You know, Romans 8 tells us that we're going to be glorified together. You know, what a precious promise that He gives to those who are faithful, who are not, who not allow themselves to be seduced by the philosophies of this world system and this world's religions that are so prevalent in our world today that call themselves Christian. They call themselves Christian. They even call themselves conservative. Mark Driscoll termed, or he was the one credited with coining the term theologically conservative, culturally liberal. Now, to us, those don't mix. So you, you can live acceptable in your culture, and that's what this incarnating yourself into the culture means. You accept the liberal culture, whether it's a punk rocker or drinking alcohol or immorality or whatever it is. It's okay. You know, you can have, you can have uh, homosexual Christians, but you're theologically conservative. In other words, you, you believe in Christ, and you know, I don't know how that works. I, I haven't figured that out, how that can be so. But that's what they, that's what they teach. Um, but it's, it's part of the apostasy. That's, that's 
prevalent in our day and time. And it's seducing many. And as we see, there, there, are, there are many coming out of places like West Coast that are adopting this philosophy. It's a product of a positive-only mentality. And whatever works. It's a product of marketing the gospel. We've got to do something that works. And this attracts people. It won't attract the presence of God, but it'll attract people. So now you know what we have to do to attract people. We'll just lose the presence and blessing of God. But there is a reward. You know, we're not to, God doesn't ask us to be acceptable by our culture. He expects us to do that which is acceptable and pleasing. He's the only one we need to worry about pressing, impressing. Um, so might God help us remain faithful, remembering that it is God that is going to reward us. Our reward is not here. We're only going to live. In relation to time and eternal things, this life is a speck of grain, or speck of sand on the beach. And we're going to have all eternity with the Lord. And so we need to live in light of eternity. So might God help us to be faithful. Well, he wants us to be busy. But most importantly, he wants us to be right with him and to be faithful to his word. Let's pray.